Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interview at the War Memorial Opera House. My name is Claire Sheridan. I'm the founder of the LEAP program at St. Mary's College of California, and I'm your host this afternoon. It's Sunday, January 29th, 2017, and this is program one. Many of these Meet the Artist interviews are available as podcasts on our website at sfballet.org. So with that in mind, I'd also like to welcome our online listeners. The list of ballets in which my guest today has performed in this theater is long and impressive. Classics like Giselle and Nutcracker, works by Balanchine, Wielden, Rotmansky, Robbins, everything from Swan Lake to Hummingbird. She joined the San Francisco Ballet as a teenager, became a soloist in 2012, and last month she was promoted to the rank of principal dancer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sasha DeSola. Hi, everyone. <laughs> First of all, congratulations. How did you find out that you had been promoted to principal? Well, um, it was the week of Christmas, and I think it was a Tuesday and Christmas was maybe on Saturday or something, but um, I was just finishing class and I was putting on my tutu to get ready to do a quick rehearsal on stage because I had a new partner, and Helgi calls me over and he's like, hey, Sasha, so are you fine to switch partners today? And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely, it'll be fine. And he's like, okay. Then he takes a pause. He's like, well, I have a little Christmas gift for you. And I was like, honestly, my first thought was maybe I had to do two shows on Christmas Eve instead of just one. <laughs> I was like, what is it? <laughs> and that's when he said I would be the newest principal dancer. So. <laughs> well, how will your life change now? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think at least this season I'm primarily still dancing the same things that I was originally going to dance. Um, I do have to say it's really wonderful to feel the recognition. Um, and it's, I feel um, maybe a little bit more confident and able to play with roles and new ways and explore um, my dancing in that way. I read one interview online where you said about ballet, I just knew that's what I wanted to do since I was 10 years old. So I went to a boarding school in Washington, D.C., the Kirov Academy, and then when I was 17, I got my job with the San Francisco Ballet. Now, you were on your own from such a young age um, as a student and a professional. What kind of support system did you create for yourself? Um, well, I'm very, very grateful to have an incredible family that has supported me throughout my life. Um, but on top of that, I think I've found really wonderful people, friends, dancers, everything to, they truly understand what it's like to be a dancer. Nobody quite understands like another dancer, I think. And um, so I've been very, very lucky in that sense to find incredible human beings that I can kind of share this journey with. Where do your parents live? Uh, they actually live here now in the Bay Area. So yeah, they were in Florida, and when I was um, at the boarding school, they stayed in Florida, and after a couple years that I was here, they moved out, and it was amazing. So now I have them nearby, which is great. In your training, were you always a talented and confident kid, or, or uh, was there an awkward period? Oh yeah, there was totally an awkward period. <laughs> um, well, I started off, um, mainly just taking general dance classes, so jazz, tap, 
and some ballet. And I think the challenge of ballet was always very appealing to me. And uh, when I was 10, I was at this point where I said, okay, I really want to be a tap dancer. And I was taking ballet and they were going to put me on point. And my teacher said, no, you have to quit tap if you want to go on point. Because tap, you have to have loose ankles. And obviously, for point shoes, you have to be very strong. Um, so it was at that point where I said, OK, let's see what happens with, <laughs> with this challenge. And um, it was a little tough at first, I'm not going to lie. But um, I what think. What was difficult for you? Oh, gosh, everything. Um, I think at first, I didn't have the musculature to help um, create lines that we need to create as dancers, so hyperextended knees, arched feet, that didn't come completely naturally to me, so I worked very hard on that. Um, I think I was always naturally coordinated, that was something that was um, easier for me, I guess, but um, I think developing the technique was actually quite difficult. So at this point in your life as a dancer, what's important to you? Um, I think I always say it's important to be balanced as an artist, as a human being. I think it shows on stage if you're, um, I don't know, I think uh, in order to give fully to a role, you have to find something within yourself that you can give to it. And I think by living, having your life experience ejected into that role, um, it brings something unique and special to it. So that's something that's important to me. Well, and what dancer or choreographer from the past would you like to have dinner with? <laughs> oh. I, I didn't say present, because I don't want to put you in a spot, but yeah. from the past. <laughs> um, have dinner with, oh gosh, that's really hard. Um, I've always been, Gosh, I don't know if I want to have dinner with him, but I am curious. <laughs> I'm curious to know what it was like to work with Jerome Robbins. I, I really love his ballets. Um, I think they're absolutely beautiful. And still today, um, the Robbins Trust that sets it, they're very specific about the type of dancer that does each and every role. And I, I find that really interesting. And it, what, what Robbins ballets have you performed in? Um, I've done In the Night and uh, Dances at a Gathering. West Side Story. West Side yeah. Story Suite, yes. I think that's it. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with principal dancer Sasha DeSola, and in a short while we'll be able to take some questions from the audience, so you can be thinking about those. Now, the eight San Francisco ballet programs that are being presented this season are named. For example, program two is called Modern Masters. Program five is called Contemporary Voices. And today's program is called The Joy of Dance. And this might be difficult to put into words, Sasha, but can you talk about the joy that you feel when you dance? Wow. Um, I think, for me, dance just is my joy in life. I think um, when I was young, that's what drew me so much to it. Uh, being on stage, it's such a freeing experience. I feel most like myself. I'm truly in the moment, which is a very special and rare thing. And um, I feel very fortunate to be able to experience that. And um, so that's my joy in dance and 
regardless of what I'm dancing, it's easy to find that, which I feel very fortunate. Is it also a physical thing? I mean, do you feel like endorphins when you, when you dance? If you, and if you don't dance, you start to feel kind of depressed? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, the physicality of it definitely plays into it. Um, even the adrenaline before a curtain goes up or something. And then afterwards, the kind of calm that, that happens, um, that definitely plays into it. And uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, would you dance if you couldn't perform? I mean, would you take class? Would you do, go through all the, the physical rigors of, of, of dance without being able to share it? That's a great question. Um, I think I would. Um, for me, one of my favorite things is being able to share it. So I don't know for sure, <laughs> but I... I do like the physicality of it. I've actually really learned to like that aspect of it. I didn't always love it. Um, so, and like, like I kind of mentioned earlier, the rigors, the challenge of dance is always appealing. So just on those levels, I think I would still dance. Sometimes, you know, you go into a, a dance studio and, and you'll see a bunch of older dancers, like in their 50s and 60s, even at the bar. And you think, wow, on earth are you there? But it's actually, I mean, I still creak through a bar. I can't do the center anymore. But it's like going to church or something. It's a chance to just sort of meditate yeah. and kind of check in and do something that you know. And it's, it's, it's kind of addictive that yeah. way in a, in a good way. You become so in tune with your body as well. Yeah. You kind of, like you said, it's meditative. And mm -hmm. yeah, I totally agree. Well, now to the dark side, nightmares. <laughs> Uh, most of us here have had the one where you show up at work and you realize you forgot to put your pants on, or you have a, a test and you realize you forgot to study, but I was wondering, are there nightmares that you have about dance, or that dancers generally have about their career, real nightmares? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I, have, <laughs> I have dance nightmares all the time, um, but I have one recurring one, which I think is really funny because, well, anyway. So I started having this one after, so when I was in the core, I danced Merlitons, which they're wearing the blue tights with the blue shoes and the ribbon. In Nutcracker. In Nutcracker. And um, so once I was promoted, I kind of stopped dancing that, but all of a sudden I started having these recurring nightmares that I was in my dressing room and I heard the beginning of the music and I'm looking for my blue tights and I can't find my blue tights anywhere. And I finally find my blue tights and then my, I only see my pink shoes and I'm like, oh no, this can never work. <laughs> and then I finally find my blue shoes and they paint the shoes and when they paint them, they kind of shrink. This is real, and, um, but in my dream, they really shrink, and so I'm trying to shove my foot in the shoes, and they don't go in, and the music's going, and yeah. <laughs> that, that's similar, similar to the other one I often hear, which is you hear your musical cue, but you're in the wrong part of the theater, and you're running to try and find the stage, and you can't find the stage, and you, know, you wake up in a cold sweat. And... Anyway, we'll have to analyze all this later. Let's get to uh, today's program. Hafner Symphony is first on the, on the agenda today. You performed the female lead role in this ballet on Friday night. How did it go? Uh, it was enjoyable. Yeah, I, ha I had a good time. <laughs> now, can you tell us how you prepared yourself for this role physically and uh, mentally? 
Um, yeah, Hafner is um, a ballet steeped in classicism, so I think for me it was very important to make sure I was back to the basics, having all the technique. Um, but on top of that, the beautiful uh, score, Mozart, um, has this beautiful lyrical quality, and I wanted to bring that with my upper body. And um, so that was kind of the approach I took to performing that. And by contrast, the, the night before and the night after, I was dancing William Forsyth's Pop Hearts, which is very, very contemporary. So I, I kind of have to comp compartmentalize each day and, um, yeah, like reset, basically. <laughs> it's a Hafner Symphony is the one ballet this afternoon where you'll see tutus. How is it, how does wearing a tutu affect one's dancing versus just wearing a leotard or a skirt like you would see today in The Countenance of Kings? Um, there is a more constricting aspect to a tutu, um, and it, I also feel that it almost highlights the legs more than just a leotard, even though a leotard is just much more um, fitting. But um, I think the moment you put on a tutu, you think, okay, pull up, turn out, you know, all of those. Um, the partnering is different too. It right? is. It absolutely is. Um, it it kind of holds your body together, the the bodice, um, and so the partnering, depending on where the tutu sits on your hips, might have to be higher or lower based on that. Or you know, there are, there are little things depending on how the costume is fitting you that your partner might have to adjust to, which sometimes is a challenge. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the countenance of kings? You've seen it. You, you don't, do you dance in that? I, I don't dance in that. Yeah, it's a great ballet. It's um, very energetic and fun. And um, I think it's, the way I perceive it is it's infused with youth, um, which I think is really fun to see on this stage. It's such a nice um, change between the three ballets. There's such a big variation between them. So. Well, then let's talk about uh, fragile vessels. San Francisco Ballet is known for presenting new works. This season alone, there are four world premieres, including today's second ballet, Fragile Vessels. Now, you, you've seen it. Can you, how would you describe it? Um, it's definitely contemporary in nature, and um, it um, is set to this beautiful, emotional Rachmaninoff score. Um, and it has a huge cast of dancers, so it, for the audience it's great, so you can see a, a ton of dancers on stage, but um, I think uh, there's something very um, human about it. It's, you know, for example, classical dance sometimes can seem not so human or directly relatable, and then there's something more grounded and earthy about fragile vessels. And the set? Yeah, the set is also beautiful, um, very striking. I don't want to give it away, but it's... Um, you, if you read your wonderful program notes, you'll learn that, that um, Fragile Vessels was created by twin brothers, the, the uh, choreographer and uh, Otto uh, did these sets. So you can learn a little bit about the two of those brothers working together to create that ballet. Now, how do you spend your time when you're not dancing? 
Um, outdoors, usually, <laughs> if I can. Um, there's something really centering about spending time outdoors. So I love to go on hikes. I have a dog that I'm obsessed with, so we just go on hikes all the time. And um, that's, that's generally where you'll find me, or in my bed, resting. <laughs> I understand you, you went uh, up north after Nutcracker to kind of decompress. I did. I went to Crater Lake, and there were nine feet of snow. And I tried to do a one-mile hike with like a 3,000-foot elevation change with no snowshoes. And that didn't really work. I tried. You used your point shoes. <laughs> I was in my point shoes the whole time. No. <laughs> Uh, now, you've, all, you've uh, completed most of the requirements for your Bachelor of Arts degree. You're working on that mm -hmm. at St. Mary's College. And do you have any thoughts about how you want to use this degree in the future? Yeah, I, you know, I go back and forth. I don't really know for sure yet. Um, I just think I feel so grateful to you, and I'm sure many dancers would agree to... Um, to have the ability to pursue our education while having a full-time job here that we're very passionate about is really remarkable. So thank you for that on a personal level. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to go for a plug. St. <laughs> Mary's College. <laughs> and uh, what other roles will you be dancing this season? So we can look for you. Um, so coming up, program three is Frankenstein, which I will be dancing the role of Justine, who is, um, she, hmm, she's <laughs> kind of part of the Frankenstein family, but she's a maid in the house, so she's not on the same class level, which causes some um, difficulties for her to fully fit in, but she's loved by the family. Um, so anyways, she has a very dramatic role, and I'm excited to kind of sink my teeth into that one. Um, after that, we have, I'll be dancing in Yuri Posikov's Fusion, which I think he created maybe in 2008, so it's coming back, which is exciting. And um, uh, Liam Scarlett's Fearful Symmetries, which premiered last year, last season. Um, and... Uh, George Balanchine's Diamonds, which is a dream role, so I'm hoping and really looking forward to hopefully doing that. Um, gosh, I can't remember what's and after more. that. Yeah, and more. <laughs> and Cinderella, and oh yes, uh, Miles Thatcher's world premiere, um, Christopher Wilden's Within the Golden Hour, and Helgi Thomason's Trio. Sounds like a busy season for yeah, you. Yeah, a little busy. <laughs> you might have already sort of somewhat answered this, but, you know, there's an old saying in the ballet world, miss class for one day, you notice. Miss class for two days, your colleagues notice. Miss class for three days, your audience notices. Now, is that true? Is it important to, like, never take a break, you, that you must be in training all the time? I think it depends who you ask. Um, I think everybody's body is different and I, I find it very important to really be in tune with what your body needs. Since we're so physical so much of the day, um, I think rest is just as important as working, but at the same time there is something, sometimes I find that when I take a nice easy bar and really warm up my body well, um, my body feels better after that than if I would just rest the entire day. So. 
most importantly, I think it's to really listen to your body, to be in tune. And sometimes you need rest, sometimes you need to work. Can you, do you know if any, can you think about some misconceptions that the public might have about ballet or ballet dancers? Um, gosh, well, I think, um, maybe people aren't as aware as to how athletic and how difficult physically it is to be a ballet dancer and to put on six ballets over two weeks and then move on and put on another ballet and move on. You know, that, that can really be taxing um, on the body, on the mind, on everything. Um, and also, I think um, we really create a really nice community of people and sometimes in films or um, shows that isn't necessarily highlighted about ballet dancers and I think it's actually quite the opposite like of course there is a competitive nature to it but we're really like a big family because we work together to put on a ballet we work together for this common cause and that's to create the best product that we can. Now you can actually feel that you know when you're watching, a, a, I was just watching company class and there is kind of a family feel to it and a supportive feel to it. One last question before we take your questions. Um, there are a lot of beautiful ballet photos of you out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, what have you as a subject of the photograph learned about how to create a good dance photo? Hmm, yeah, I think um, it depends on the photographer that you're working with. Um, there are some wonderful photographers that know ballet very well and they can give you direction right away. Um, and then there are others that um, maybe, you know, you want to go and check the photograph, check the angle. Um, it's all about really finding the right angle, the right position, everything. Um, so it kind of depends on, on who you're working with. Um, both are great. Um, one, you have a little bit more input, and one, you have to trust a little bit more. Okay, some questions. Yes? What can you tell us about the beautiful diamond earrings you are wearing? Oh, what can you tell us about the beautiful diamond earrings uh, you were wearing? You know, um, I can tell you that they're plastic, unfortunately. <laughs> But I wish you're they breaking were real. the spell, <laughs> Sasha. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> yes. How long does it take to, to learn a especially complicated role? Um, it really depends. Um, I think if a ballet is set already, it's slightly easier for me personally to learn a ballet because you know what you're aiming for, there's a clear musicality, there's something is prepared and set. But um, if a role is being created, it, it can take a little longer because it's constantly changing, constantly shifting, you have to be aware of all the latest changes. Um, so, I mean, I've learned a role in an hour and I've also learned a role in a matter of weeks. So I think it's also depends when the performance is because if the performance is that night and you have to dance, you've got to learn it. <laughs> <laughs>
the, contem the more contemporary pieces seems like it would be much more difficult to learn because the movements, it isn't, you know, in classical dance, there's a name for each step and you can kind of almost sing it to yourself. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing some really complicated choreography, it seems to be more difficult. Sure, learn. yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, there isn't a set vocabulary, which makes it a little bit more difficult. But on the flip side, um, there's more room for individuality and kind of your interpretation of the movement. So there's kind of two sides to that coin. Another question. Yes, sir. When you decided you wanted to do ballet, did that come about organically or was an aha moment saying, that's what I want to do? When you decided you wanted to do ballet, did that come across, uh, happen organically or, or was it a, a process? I mean, or was it an aha moment? Um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I feel like it was kind of an aha moment of taking class and like finally I watched, um, I remember watching ABT's Le Corsair on video on VHS and all of a sudden I was like, I want to do that. I want to, why not? <laughs> and um, I think once I set my mind to it, that was it. No turning back. <laughs> yes. Uh, what advice would you have for a little girl just starting out in ballet? What advice do you have for a little girl just starting out in ballet? Um, I think I would say, especially just starting out, just have a lot of fun, enjoy it, um, and if you like it and you keep, um, you feel passionate about it. Um, persevere, because there will always be challenges. It can get difficult sometimes, but um, if you love it, it's worth it to work for it. And even if you don't become a professional, mm -hmm. the, the training is valuable, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things you can gain from it. It's simply discipline, um, basic coordination, body awareness, even, you know, uh, like anatomy, <laughs> understanding your own body. Um, so there's a lot of positive aspects. Yes. Going back to the learning of a part, is there still a notation, like Laba notation, to keep it fairly constant over the years, the decades, and whatnot? Um, when you're learning a new part, do they use a, a dance notation system that folks are, there are several that exist where people can actually write down dances like people write down music. Is that still used or are there other meth methods? Uh, yes, notation is still used. Unfortunately, I'm not personally very familiar with methods of notation, um, but our incredible ballet masters, which I think are the unsung heroes of our company, um, they all, some of them I think have their own personal way to notate. Um, and some people use uh, uh, maybe, like you said, love on notation. Or the more formal. More formal. Mm -hmm. I think we have time for one more question about on the aisle there. <laughs> uh, what are you majoring in, in in college at St. Mary's, and when do you have time to go to class? So with the LEAP program, we, all, we get credit for... Um, ballet and performance and everything. So we major in, we get a Bachelor of the Arts in Performing Arts. Um, and we go to class on Sunday nights from 6 to 10 p.m. 
<laughs> in a hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way. They don't have time to commute. So you just have to have, bring the classes and the teachers to them. And I also felt very strongly when I created the LEAP program that they should get college credit for what they do because they can dance just as well as any college dance major. So why shouldn't that be recognized? I felt very strongly about that. So. <laughs> get at least 30 units of credit for that, at least, since you've put in your whole life's work into that <laughs> endeavor. Uh, well, folks, actually, we're out of time. They're going to take the, uh, the hook and pull me off the stage here. You can replay this conversation and listen to other Meet the Artist interviews on our website at sfballet.org. But right now, please join me in thanking our guest today, principal dancer Sasha DeSola. Thank you.